I wish this were on video so you could see the big smile on my <laughs> face just <laughs> just thinking of that. Although in the moment, it was about 5.30 in the morning. And um, when I actually saw the, the zero um, and the day before it had been $230,000. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and so when I saw the zero... I physically collapsed <laughs> to the ground and I just started crying. Yeah. And I mean, it was just such a relief. And yeah, I just, I knew it should happen. And I, every part of me thought it was going to happen, but there's still always that doubt until the moment when it, you see it with your own eyes. And, um, and it really hit me how much it had weighed on me and what a relief it was to, to have that done. And and I think since then, I have a much more positive approach, positive mindset to personal finance and investing and looking at retirement and all of that world of um, what do you do with money? What does money mean? How do you reach financial independence? And you know, even though I was most of the way done with my book at the time I finally got forgiveness, I wrote most of my book <laughs> having a net negative, a six-figure net negative net worth. <laughs> and so to finally hit this moment where we went from that to having a positive net worth and seeing a pathway towards that continuing to build, it was a huge change for for our family. And <laughs> we're not rich by any means. We're a long ways from financial independence. And I still have moments where it does occur to me that if I went the private sector route, I could make a lot more money very quickly. But I also see the path I chose working out and that's encouraging. And it makes me want to stay on this path of doing work I care about and feel good about. You know, what, what I say about the legal profession is that the the nature of it is that 50% of the time you win and 50% of the time you lose. And for me, I've always wanted to know that in that 50% of the time when I won, the world was a better place because of it. I never wanted to be in a situation where I won a case and I felt like because of the client I had, because of the issue that was being litigated, the world was actually worse off for it. Welcome to Michelle is Money Hungry, a podcast focused on having real and empathetic conversations about the intersection of money, policy, and politics. In my view, personal finance and money isn't just about working hard. I'm spending the entire freaking summer, <laughs> yes, the entire summer, talking about the potential for student loan forgiveness, the cost of education, and is this policy an overreach? Or is it necessary? With inflation rising and thousands of students about to have their loans come out of being paused due to financial policy enacted during the COVID pandemic, this policy is quite honestly living rent-free in my mind. What will happen if student loan forgiveness actually happens? And what will happen if the administration decides to back off on pursuing this and decides to move away from this as a action plan? My guests and I will talk about everything that gets lost in all the noise of politics, tweets, and everything in between. Is college really a part of the American dream? And is the cost of college actually a problem? With increasing chatter about the potential of a recession, this conversation is just so important because for a lot of people, their budget has changed during the pause. So this is the other reason why we're talking about this. 
I really hope you'll enjoy the conversation that I had about student loan forgiveness with Kyle Landis Marinello. He's the author of the book, Personal Finance and Investing, but he also has had $230,000 in student loan debt forgiven. So he definitely has had personal experience with this issue. As a result of my debt experience, I was really skittish about ever getting another credit card. I hate to admit that when it was finally time to sign up for my first card in years, I messed up. I chose badly. I hate this new credit card and I wish that I had known about cash freely when making this decision. What I love about this free tool is the following. It helps credit card users stay organized when using different cash back rewards programs and just trying to figure out which card is the best card for them. You don't have to worry about leaving cash on the table. Cash Freely helps credit card users optimize the different cash cash back rewards programs that may be a part of current cards that you're using or future cards that you may be considering applying for in the future. And just maybe that extra cash can be applied as an extra payment on your student loan. Okay, I couldn't I couldn't resist or used towards savings or that trip that you're excited about taking now that COVID is quote unquote over. Again, this is a free app or you can use the website and I think you should definitely check it out. Click on the link in my show notes for more information. Quick disclaimer, this show and series is for entertainment purposes only. Do your own research and communicate with your student loan service provider if you are in distress. Do not take anything shared in this show as advice. Do your own due diligence. Now, enjoy the episode. I'm Kyle Landis Marinello. I'm an environmental and energy lawyer. I've been doing public interest law my entire career, and I'm also interested in personal finance and wrote a book called Personal Finance and Investing and talked in that book about my career path and quite a bit about student loans as well and my personal experience with student loans and the public service loan forgiveness program. I hate to get into your business, but did you take out loans for college? And what was that experience like if you did? No, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm an open book on the subject because I think it's an, an important thing for more people to be talking about. And I really appreciate that you're doing this series highlighting student loans and, and forgiveness. I was very fortunate in that I made it through all of my undergraduate degree without any debt at all. I had a uh, scholarship at Emory University that paid for tuition, room and board. It even covered my textbooks there. And so I made it out of college without any debt. But then I uh, (laughs) managed to completely go the other direction when it came to graduate school. And for graduate school, I did a master's degree in environmental law And then I did three years of law school to get my law degree. And over the course of those four years, even with scholarship money, I racked up a total of about $200,000 in loans. And um, I then took public interest jobs where I 
couldn't make even the minimum payments on those loans and had to put them into forbearance for a couple of years. And by the time I made my first payment, I was already at around $230,000 in debt just on student loans. What was it like for you to be a fairly young person with that kind of, of debt that you were dealing with? And I wonder how it impacts other folks out there who are focused on social good. If you could kind of touch on both of those, what your perspective is on the impact to those who would help others and, and just what was it like for you dealing with this situation? Yeah, it has a huge impact. I mean, the, the weight on your shoulders when you carry that amount of debt. I mean, it was more than what houses were selling for in in Vermont, where uh, my wife and I were moving to after law school. And I did have a plan of doing public service work and working towards the public service loan forgiveness program. I also went to law school at, at the University of Michigan, which has a great program that helps out with loan payments along the way if you're doing public interest work. And so I knew I could combine those programs to help me with this this debt burden, but it was always weighing there. And uh, you know, I think it actually affected how I approached money generally that I tried to avoid thinking about it because I just knew I had a negative net worth and would for at least 10 years after I graduated law school. And to turn to the second part of your question about doing public interest work, um, it really ups the ante for your commitment to do it. Because at a school like Michigan, which is a very good law school, and I did well at that school, and I don't say that to to brag, but just so I can explain the choices that were presented to me. Um, I was near the top of my class and on the Michigan Law Review. And when you're in that position at a good law school, law firms are flying out from all over the country to do interviews with those students and offer them jobs that when I was graduating with bonuses would have paid, some of them paid as much as 200000 a year. And the job I ultimately took when I graduated law school doing public interest work paid $40,000 a year. And that was the entire income for our family, my wife and I and our, our kids. And it was tight. And so when I was in law school, I saw a lot of people drop out of the public interest track and go take those high paying jobs at law firms doing primarily corporate work because they couldn't imagine carrying this amount of debt for 10 years or more. And they wanted to just get a high paying job that would help them pay those loans as quickly as possible. Was this experience part of why you you ended up creating content in the personal finance space? Yes, absolutely. I, As I said, I kind of avoided thinking about money for a long time. My partner and I did what we needed to, to pay the bills, to make sure we were making good choices uh, in the moment. But things were, were very tight. The entirety of that, what ended up actually being 12 and a half years for me before the forgiveness happened. Um, and it was when I saw that I was getting close and I knew I had, I was one of the rare few who really paid attention to the details and dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. And so I was pretty confident I was going to get the forgiveness. Um, and as I approached that date, 
I realized I could start thinking about my finances, our, our family's finances in a completely different way, in a much more positive light and stop living in fear of them and start looking more at what are the positive things we can do and how do we work towards increasing a positive net worth and financial independence eventually. I was not planning to even ask this question or think about this or or talk about this in this conversation with you. But so I used to live in France for a short period of time. And when I lived in Europe, one of the things that I really noticed as well as in other countries was just how affordable college and higher ed is just in general. What do you think about the cost of education in the U.S.? And is there a way out of it being so expensive? Is this, is this something that just is going, like it is what it is because we're here and that's just, we let the market kind of decide or do you think that there's a way for for us to reimagine how college and undergrad and grad could be in terms of affordability? Because as you were just sharing the fact that it took 12 years to even hit to hit the end, I wonder about how life could have been for those 12 years if that wasn't a burden that you had to deal with. Yeah, um, I think that I think it's tough to make college cost less. And the reason I say that is that one of the biggest expenses for colleges is the professors and the salaries and the benefits that they're provided. And they do need to be paid well so that you can get the best people into those positions. And, you know, it's the same for education across the board. And I know when I look at our local town budget, I'm embarrassed at how little we pay our teachers at the elementary and the high school level. And luckily we have some really dedicated people who care so much about teaching that they'll do it even though it doesn't pay as well and even though they could get jobs that pay more. Um, And so that happens at the elementary and high school level, but at the college and graduate school level, I I don't know if that would be the case. And so it, it might be that a lot of the schools do need to charge a lot to be able to pay their people well. I'm sure there's ways they could save money on the big buildings they put up and and things like that. <laughs> yeah. College sports comes to mind, although some for some schools that makes them money. Um, so I, I think the bigger issue is how you pay for it. And, you know, earlier today, I was talking with my 11 year old and he didn't understand why people had to pay for college. And he said, why isn't it like uh, my school where the taxpayers pay for it? Mm. And and I think in a lot of European countries, that is the case that you can get funding all the way through um, a college degree and, and even graduate level work. I'm curious about your experience in the program. And if you could talk about the specific program that you were involved in and and how you even found out about it, like kind of walk us through how you were able to leverage this opportunity for you and just what was it like? So the program that I used was the public service loan forgiveness program. And This is a program that's available to people who do 10 or more years working in uh, the government, whether at the federal, state, or local level, or um, at a nonprofit organization. And it was a, a bipartisan bill that 
passed um, about 15 years ago. And the idea was to encourage people to go into public interest work if that's where their passion was and make it affordable to do so. And it really does do exactly that. So I, I mentioned when I graduated, I had jobs available that would have paid around $200,000. And I instead chose to do the job that I wanted to do for $40,000 a year. And as we had a second kid and a third kid, and I was still the only source of income for our family, um, and still a state employee not getting paid very well, it was tight and it was tough. And if this program hadn't been available, I don't know that I could have done it. And, you know, I'll just tell one story that I I think of regularly about the choices that I had to make to do the type of work I want to do, to do public interest environmental work. There was one year when I met with my boss about a raise and in state government, you can't get big raises, but I was expecting a few extra thousand dollars in, in salary and it would have made a really big difference at the time. And I was told even though I was doing great work and working long longer hours than others and they wanted to give me more, the budget didn't allow it that year. And when I drove home from work that day, I pulled into our driveway and I was walking from our driveway to our, our back porch. And as I get to the back porch, there's a cardboard box there with peanut butter and eggs and some other food in it that the state of Vermont had delivered to our mm-hmm. house because as a family of five on the state government salary that I was making, we qualified for food assistance. And it was a really hard moment then that here was the state telling me there wasn't money to pay me a few thousand dollars more. And at the same time, they're sending food out to our doorstep so we can feed our kids. And I'll admit, I I had a moment there where I really questioned if this was the right path and did a lot of soul searching. And ultimately, my my partner and I talked about it and we kept on on that path. And I'm still on that path of doing public interest work. And it was the right choice for us, but it was tough. How did you even know about the program? Told you about it? Did you, was it something that you discovered in re- like, how did you know that this was a thing? Because I feel like if, if a program like this were to happen today, like if they legislated it today and passed a law and what have you, I mm-hmm. think with all this stuff going on, I would just miss it. You know what I mean? And so yeah. When I think about when this was passed, how did you know that this was something for you? Walk me through you knowing that this was a thing that you should be a part of and paying attention to. So I was in law school when this program came into being. And so the law school financial aid office and uh, Michigan also had a um, public interest office. And so those two offices if I remember right, worked together and put together a presentation one evening at the law school for anyone who was interested or thought they might be interested in public interest work. And they had kind of gone through the law and the different elements of it and laid it out for us there. And then I just did some of my own research from that point forward to make sure I was I was doing everything right. Um, but I I was very fortunate that 
I had that kind of handholding from the beginning. And boy, that is not the usual story <laughs> with this program. Uh, there are lots and lots of people who either did not know about the program or they knew something about it, but not all the details. And they made a mistake early on in terms of where they consolidated their loans or not consolidating their loans or in terms of the type of payments they were making. And that was why you saw these stories in the news a few years ago when that first group started hitting the 10-year mark and they were all getting rejected. And mm -hmm. something like 3%, if that, of the applications were getting approved. And the number's gotten quite a bit better since then, but um, it was really problematic in terms of people were getting bad information from their schools, from their lenders, um, from just about everyone in the process. And um, fortunately, in the last year, there has been a lot of work done at the Federal Department of Education to create avenues for people who got that bad information early on to still get forgiveness if they were doing public interest work and if they were doing some sort of of payment. You know, even I say that I got a lot of good information, but even I messed it up pretty bad. I mentioned I didn't actually get forgiveness until 12 and a half years after I graduated law school. Those extra two and a half years were the result of me putting my loans in forbearance, not realizing that I probably could have scheduled to make income-based repayments that probably would have been zero dollars do. Oh. <laughs> and those payments would have uh, been credited those two and a half years. And I would have got forgiveness at the 10 year mark rather than, than 12 and a half years after graduating. What are some of the current challenges and what are some of the great things that are happening with the public service loan forgiveness program? What are some of the things that you're just observing in general with it, the good and the bad? Well, it's great that uh, right now the Department of Education is trying to really do the program right and look for opportunities to provide forgiveness rather than in the past. It's been it's felt more like they look for reasons to deny it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the most important thing that's happening with this program is it really is serving the purpose that it intended of allowing people to do important public interest work even though it doesn't pay as well as the private sector. And, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of the program is people have pointed out that it's lawyers or it can be doctors and dentists who end up being able to use this program and gain lots of money forgiven, and maybe they didn't need that forgiveness. And there is some truth to that criticism. A lot of hospitals are set up as nonprofits, and so there are doctors who may qualify for the program, even though their salaries are high enough, they really don't need a program like this. Um, and it may be the same for dentists. I can't speak to that. But I can speak to what's happened in the legal field, um, where without a program like this, you would see an even higher percentage of the best lawyers feeling like they had no choice but to go do corporate work at a big law firm. And when you have a program like this, it creates another path where lawyers who could do that work if they wanted to, but would rather follow their passion, do something that's going to have an impact on uh, those who need it most, uh, caring for others, caring for the planet. The people who want to do that work have an option with public service loan forgiveness. 
and the loans hang over your head for 10 years, but you know there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. And so that's exactly what it's meant to do. And I, I think that is what it's doing. And I think there are a lot of attorneys out there who are uh, who were able to become prosecutors, uh, who were able to become public defenders, who were able to do constitutional law, environmental law, um, fight for civil rights. Some of the most important work happening in the legal profession, those lawyers are in the public service loan forgiveness program, and it's making that work possible. Right now, there are a lot of <laughs> big feelings, like the way that you would talk to kids, big feelings around the student loan forgiveness policy, like the potential policy that could happen, um, you know, sometime this year or the following. Mm -hmm. What are some of your observations in terms of what people are thinking about the program as they are making their comments to you or on your social media feeds? Like, what do you think people think it is? Yeah, I, I think people think that it's a, some people think it's a, a government handout. They think it's um, unnecessary. They think it's transferring a burden that some people voluntarily took on to taxpayers who did not agree to, to do it. And I think a lot of the nuances get lost in this. And, um, you know, I'll just mention one, which I think is a really important aspect of this this issue, which is when I took out these federal loans, the federal government charged me 7.9% interest. That very same year that I took out those first federal loans, I had a credit card that charged me 4.9% interest. <laughs> and what? yes, and, uh, and so I literally remember thinking when I buy my law school books, I'm better off putting them on my credit card than <laughs> taking out more loans to pay for them because the, the government itself was charging 7.9%. And so I mentioned my first two years after law school, my loans were in forbearance. I wasn't making any payments, but interest was racking up. In that two-year period, it went from $200,000 to $230,000. And this was, well, I was doing public interest work and couldn't afford to make a, a single payment on it. And it's because that interest rate was so high. And it, I think that's... And actually, when you look at the total balance that's due on student loans today, an enormous amount of that balance, enormous percentage is just interest. It's not the principal that was actually taken out by the students. And then when you dig in a little deeper into those numbers, um, you can see that there's a disproportionate impact in terms of people of color and low-income people often have higher interest balances that have accrued and would benefit more from a forgiveness program that wipes that out. And so those are a few of the nuances that I think get lost in the discussion, but are really important to highlight that um, the federal government doesn't exactly have clean hands in this uh, because they came right out of the gate charging way more than even credit cards were charging at the time. One of the, the pieces of information that really surprised me when preparing for this project was actually something that I worked on for, for a client. And um, I was working on a post for a client about student loans, something adjacent to it. And one of the things I discovered in working on that piece was that 
for for-profit schools, um, they are partnered very heavily with the federal government. And in fact, a lot of the really problematic lending is happening out of for-profit, that, like that whole space of education. Mm-hmm. And my question is, how do we how do we get government to hold these educational partners accountable for the lending that they're doing, for the practices that they're doing, for the tuition that they're charging? What are your thoughts about how they're complicit in the problem? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's a good question, and um, and and I think that for-profit universities can uh, be guilty of that. But I think even state universities, state colleges, the tuition hikes that they often charge, um, the way that they'll recruit students, the failure to really explain to students, incoming students, how much this is going to cost. I think there is a lot of blame to spread around on on something like this. Uh, and yeah, you know, I think of um, one criticism of forgiveness that people often put out there is they say, look, you agreed to take on this debt. And, and my response to that is, you're talking about 18 year olds. And uh, I don't know about others, but I was an idiot when I was 18. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) the idea that I would have had any understanding of um, loans that were being taken out, the interest that would accrue, how much that would weigh on me for such a long period of my life. I mean, it's just, it's, that's not how 18 year olds think, even when they're presented with the information. And they're usually not presented with the information. Yes, I'm sure there's some 10-page legal document that uh, has something in there, but it doesn't get translated to the real-world impact. And um, and I even, as I mentioned at the beginning, I, I made it through college without debt, but it was the same when I was going to graduate school. I didn't fully understand how much the debt was. I, I, I had no idea that if I didn't make payments my first two years after law school, I would owe $30,000 more than the day I graduated. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there in terms of disclosures and letting people know know the true cost of of attending university. Why do you think that people are so angry about this as a policy versus when we bailed out the banks and the automotive industry? Like I remember the death spiral that was the economy in 20, 2008 for a couple of reasons. One, I was I was looking to leave my job. This is the weirdest story. So um <laughs> In 2000, at the end of 2006, I was like, I want to leave my job. Like I was just so ready to leave. And <laughs> for some strange, bizarro reason, I decided I had a feeling like this, I'll never forget this. I had a really strong feeling that even though I wanted to leave my job that I shouldn't. <laughs> so instead I decided to buy a place, <laughs> but what crazy. So when I was looking to buy a place, I was like, you know, when I buy this place, I should just, you know, buy like spend what I can afford. And, you know, I keep hearing about these people getting these crazy loans, but it feels like that's just crazy. So I'll, I'll just borrow like very, very conservatively. Right. Mm -hmm. So I ended up 
taking half of what I was approved for and buying mm-hmm. the place that actually I still live in now, I, weirdly enough. And I need, uh, to, <laughs> I need to rent it out. But anyway, um, and I remember signing closing on the place and literally the death spiral that happened <laughs> shortly thereafter. And I'm sitting there and I'm working at a university and I was hired as a state employee mm-hmm. to work at the university. So it was like the most secure job I could ever have. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm just watching all these people go through financial hell, mm-hmm. and I'm watching just you know, the out of automotive industry implode. I'm watching banks like, like you're just seeing reports as you remember. Yep. And we bailed them out. And yeah. I remember Obama getting just raked through the coals for doing that. And so I wonder why is it that this, why do you think that this policy angers people? It feels like even yeah. more than that, that government policy that actually seems to seem to cost more like i'm gonna have to look at the numbers on this but i feel like the cost of doing the bank and the automotive bailout bailouts was more than what we're looking at for education for student loans so what's what's your read on that yeah i mean i I think that there are probably kind of two two groups of people that um are vocal about this one is there there are people who didn't ever take out loans themselves. And so either they didn't go to college or university, um, or they went to college and university and and their parents or someone else paid for it. And uh, I mean, I remember my first week at law school, a few of us talking about when our loan check was going to come in because we had some bills that were due and we were waiting on it. <laughs> and um, uh, a guy next to me was kind of like deer in the headlights. He didn't understand what we were talking about. And then it occurred to me, oh, his parents probably just write a check every semester. And um, so he had never thought of the people who didn't pay up front. And likewise, I hadn't really realized till that moment, there are people who go through college, graduate school, and it all gets paid for by someone else. And so if you've never had student loans, it can be hard to relate to the experience and it can feel like this is a benefit being given to others that um, wasn't available to me. And and there are probably some people in that camp who would have gone to college if it had been free. And I I feel for that group. And I mean, that's a legitimate uh, criticism of forgiveness if, if that's the situation someone was in. And then I think the second group, you have people who took out a lot of loans and then paid them off themselves. And I feel for this group also, I mean, I completely understand if someone worked really hard and put every extra cent they had towards paying off their loans and made all sorts of sacrifices and delayed how soon they'll be able to retire to funnel money in that direction. And then if they see everyone else's loans forgiven, I think that 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 grates on them. And, um, you know, it it reminds me of when I was in high school. I I can't remember why I was usually really good about hitting deadlines, but there was one paper that I just knew I wasn't going to be able to get it done on time. And after class, I went to the teacher and I asked if I could have an extension um, and have a couple more days to do that paper. And the teacher was like, oh, yeah, no problem at all. That's fine, Kyle. I won't get to grading all of them until yours is in anyways. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and 
someone in my class um, <laughs> was actually a former girlfriend of mine at the time. Maybe that played into why <laughs> she chimed in on this. Uh, she spoke up and, and was really upset that the teacher was giving me an extension uh, because she had done a lot of work to rearrange her schedule so she could get this paper done on time. And, and I remember my thinking was, this doesn't even affect you. This is just me asking if I can get an extension because I, I can't get it done myself. And why are you speaking up on this? But looking back on it from her perspective, you know, there's a lot of truth to that too, that she made sacrifices to get it done on time. And here's someone who hadn't made those same sacrifices and they're being given forgiveness. And so I think the same thing might be going on now with, with student loans. And, and I understand that. And I, I empathize with that. Um, it, it's not my view. I, I'm always, I, I've always been of the view that I want anyone and everyone to get every, every benefit they can. And, but I, I understand where those folks come from. If you were to redesign this program, what would you do differently than what you experienced? What would improve this for you? I think there are a lot of things that could be done. I, I think of one thing is making the forgiveness an easier process, simplifying it, streamlining it. And a lot of work has been happening in the last year at the federal level to do that. I think that there are some things that would probably get widespread support, like let's cut this interest rate to zero for things we want people to do. We want people to get more education. So why is the federal government charging interest, let alone 7.9% interest when people take that path? I think we should be looking seriously at the European model where you're not charged in the first place for it. And I think another thing that would help a lot is to not make it this all or nothing program where you do 10 years and you can get it all forgiven. You do nine years, 11 months of public service and you don't get a dime forgiven. Uh, there's there's no logic to that. And so I, I think ideally you'd have every single year you do public interest work, some percentage, maybe it's 10% every year gets forgiven on December 31st and you get a letter saying, thank you for your service. Here's how much less you owe now. I actually have thought about just the structure of the program. And for me, it just feels it's this opportunity that is so loaded with, it feels like you're Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, <laughs> right? And and you just step in one place and you're out. Yeah. Like you step in the wrong place and you got, you know, snakes all over you. You're, you're just, it's not going to work. Yeah. And so I do agree that it feels this program has felt unnecessarily complicated. And I think that that's part of what has upset people so much, especially those who've paid for years and aren't getting the forgiveness that they thought they should get. I have one or two last questions. I think the next question would be, actually, I just brain farted. Oh my, I don't like that. It's 10 years. Yeah, actually. The 10 years has always bothered me because so much can happen in 10 freaking years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for me, I think the program has a lot, so much potential, but that I would actually lower the number of years that people participate in it. Yep. I, I think that's right. I mean, just speaking to lawyers who use the program, the critical moment really does occur in 
law school and when you're deciding whether to go work for a big firm doing corporate work or whether to do public interest work. And when you commit to doing public interest work in law school, if you start down that path, I think if you do it for five years, the work itself, you see how rewarding it is and you're committed to it and you're willing to do it even when it makes finances really difficult. And so I think if you lowered it to five years, you would still see a lot of people continue to do public interest work well past the five-year mark. In fact, I would guess the majority of people would continue to do that. Um, Like I said, I got forgiveness a year and two months ago, and I'm still in the same job. I'm still doing public interest work. And so I I think a five-year mark would be a, a big improvement. And it would be more comparable to how long it takes people to pay their loans off if they go the private sector route. And so it would really be helpful that way that I know I had friends in law school who wanted to do public interest work. And then when it hit them how much their loans were going to total at the end of, of law school, and they did the calculus, if they went to a firm, you know, they realized they could pay off all their loans, even $200,000 of loans in three or four years at a private law firm making really good money. And the idea of that weight on their shoulders for 10 years, it was just a big contrast. And so, yeah, shortening the length of the the forgiveness program would be a, a huge benefit. My last question is this, what was it like when you logged in to your student loan portal and it was zero? What was it like that day and how has life been? since then. I wish this were on video so you could see the big smile on my <laughs> face just <laughs> just thinking of that. Although in the moment, it was about 5.30 in the morning. And um, when I actually saw the, the zero um, and the day before it had been $230,000. Oh my God. Yeah. And, and so when I saw the zero, I physically collapsed <laughs> to the ground and I just started crying. Yeah. And I mean, it was just such a relief. And yeah, I just, I knew it should happen. And I, every part of me thought it was going to happen, but there's still always that doubt until the moment when it, you see it with your own eyes. And, um, and it really hit me how much it had weighed on me and what a relief it was to, to have that done. And, and I think since then, I have a much more positive approach, positive mindset to, personal finance and investing and looking at retirement and all of that world of um, what do you do with money? What does money mean? How do you reach financial independence? And, you know, even though I was most of the way done with my book at the time I finally got forgiveness, I wrote most of my book (laughs) having a net negative, a six-figure net negative net worth. (laughs) And so to finally hit this moment where we went from that to having a positive net worth and seeing a pathway towards that continuing to build. It was a huge change for for our family. And we're not rich by any means. We're a long ways from financial independence. And I still have moments where it does occur to me that if I went the private sector route, I could make a lot more money very quickly. But I also see the path I chose working out and that's encouraging and it makes me want to stay on this path of doing work I care about and 
feel good about. You know, what, what I say about the legal profession is that the, the nature of it is that 50% of the time you win and 50% of the time you lose. And for me, I've always wanted to know that in that 50% of the time when I won, the world was a better place because of it. I never wanted to be in a situation where I won a case and I felt like because of the client I had, because of the issue that was being litigated, the world was actually worse off for it. That's a really good way to end our conversation. Wow. Uh, I am so excited for you. I'm excited for you guys to have this new chapter. I know it's been a little while, but still, I think it's going to, I think it's, it's going to take probably another year or two to just really like go through like a, a life cycle. If you, if you know what I mean, to mm-hmm. really feel the impact of that, that obligation being gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just add one more thing, Michelle, which is, um, I still have about $30,000 of private student loans. Um, what the hell? Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So even though when I made my first payment, I owed $230,000. Uh-huh. And at the end of 10, the 12 and a half years, I got $230,000 forgiven. In the meanwhile, I the private loans, which were not forgiven, had built up over that time. And so on the day of forgiveness, I actually owed $260,000. And um so the the private loans, it's a much more manageable payment. Uh, luckily, I refinanced those at a time when um, rates were still really low. But yeah, it's it. I'm not totally out of the woods now. But, but, uh, but you know what? You can see that you can see the clearing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, the amount I still owe pales in comparison to to what I was able to get forgiven. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Kyle, for just your candor and for sharing so openly. And I just wish you guys all the best. And I am thankful that we've got lawyers like you out there trying to do good and, or doing good, not even trying, doing good as a person living in a state that's constantly on fire and struggling with water issues and pollute, like we got issues here and what you litigate in is what I care about very deeply. One of the topics that I care about very deeply, I use a car share for goodness sakes. So (laughs) with that being said, thank you for sharing everything. If you could do me a favor and share where people can find you and just follow what you're up to, that would be great. Yeah. And and thank you, Michelle, for doing this series for uh, your podcast, which is wonderful and, and all the work that you do in this space. It's really important work. Thank you. And yeah, so I can be reached on, um, for social media, I'm mostly just on Twitter and my handle is at PF author, uh, short for personal finance author. And that's my website, personalfinanceauthor.com. And that has links to my book. You can find the book on Amazon. You can get it from your local bookstore and reach out anytime. If anyone is struggling with the public service loan forgiveness program, um, please reach out to me personally if you have questions. And also make sure to um, check out the Facebook group on public service loan forgiveness. It's an amazing resource. And uh, the moderators on that group are complete experts on how to navigate this program and, and make sure you do it right. Oh, and don't forget to share your the name of your book. 
Yes. Uh, my book is Personal Finance and Investing, How Anyone Can Make More, Spend Less, and Invest Wisely. I tried to make it as entertaining as possible because I know that the real cost of a book isn't the dollars you pay for it, it's the time you spend reading it. And so I, I made it as concise as I could and, and tried to make it something people would enjoy reading. Okay, people, you heard it. Go get that book. And again, thank you so much. Get that book to chip down that 30K. So, <laughs> and thank you so much for the good work that you're doing. Thank you, Michelle. 